Hey, I am so glad to see you today. How would you like it if I told you today how to vote? <laughs> I know some of you would love that and some of you are like, no, John, don't even go there. Well, guess what? I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but the Word of God does have something specific to say about how we vote. Now listen to this in Psalm 146, starting in verse 3. It says, don't put your confidence in powerful people. There's no help for you there, God says. Now, God's not saying don't vote. Of course, our scriptures were written before they had democratic republics like we live in today, but I happen to believe that God placed you at this time in history for a reason, and your vote matters. You should absolutely vote, and you should vote for the person who you believe will best live out biblical principles and enable us to live them out freely. But as you do that, be careful that as you place your vote in a candidate or a party, you're not placing your confidence in that candidate or that party. I'm not telling you that. The word of God is saying, don't put your confidence in powerful people. There's no help for you there. Verse four says this, here's why not to put your ultimate confidence in any person, even if they really mean well and they're super noble and wonderful. Here's the problem. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth, literally to the dirt, and all their plans will die with them. In other words, in contrast to Almighty God, even the most noble of people and even the most powerful of people are limited in their lifespan and in what they can actually do. You know, who you count on in life is a lot like sitting down on a chair. Now, I hope this hasn't happened to you, but I had a time where I was sitting down on a plastic chair. It had been outside in the sun for a long time and the sun had weathered the chair. It had broken down the integrity of the plastic. And as I plopped down in that chair, the back legs came out and everyone around me got a really good laugh as that chair collapsed beneath me. Now here's the thing, in life, we are always putting our trust or confidence in someone or something. I heard a story the other day about one of our small groups where the whole group was gathered up in a circle and a guy sat down in a chair and it collapsed just like what I just described. This isn't the same guy, but go ahead and take a look as we picture what it is to place our trust in something that doesn't quite deliver. Let's take a look. All right, let's see if this chair holds out any better than the last one. This is for you, Renette. All right. Oh. Not bad? It's actually good. Uh-oh. Oh. Maybe I shouldn't do it anymore? Probably not. Well, I mean, don't try to break it. No. Uh-oh. Okay. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's such a great picture because here's the reality. In life, we're all placing our confidence in something. So you could really summarize what we're going to learn from the Word of God today with this picture. Which one do you want to be sitting on in your life? I mean, do you want to be cozy and knowing that you're seated on something that's comfortable and it's solid and no matter what happens, it will be there? Or maybe your life has looked a lot like this. I think we all have a lot of plastic chair relationships in our lives. 
Uh, maybe it was the home you were raised in, or maybe it's some relationship that you're in right now that you thought you could count on a person, and you really placed your confidence, and it just gave out. It just broke out from underneath you. What we're learning today from the Word of God is how to live a life that's sturdy. And here's the question we're asking. How can you recover from disappointment and letdown? I mean, maybe that plastic chair for you, you're like, yes, that is my life right now. Those are my relationships. How do you recover from that? Or let's put it another way. How can you prevent unnecessary letdowns? I mean, what if you could live a life of fewer disappointments? What if you could live a life of fewer letdowns? We all know that feeling of having our hopes really, really set on something and then being let down. Or being disappointed. I know for a lot of us those stories go really deep and they can be really emotional. So let me tell you one that you can laugh at and you can laugh at me in the process. Now here's a picture of me when I was, I don't know, seven or eight years old. I've got three older brothers and that's me there. And it was around this time in life that I was convinced that I was an animal whisperer. I loved dogs, I loved all kinds of animals, and I was convinced that I had this special connection. Well, we were on this big family vacation, and we were visiting a horse ranch out in Montana. And I remember I was staying in this little cabin, me and my older brothers, and just outside the cabin were some horses, including a colt, a baby horse, that had recently been born. Uh, this colt, its mouth was right around my chest level. And we'd been told by the people at the ranch that I you know, shouldn't go pet the horses by myself. But I was so convinced that I was an animal whisperer. That one morning I woke up, my brothers were older teenagers, they were all sleeping in. And I sneaked out there and I started to pet this colt all by myself. And, and it came in, I thought it was going to like kiss me or something. It bit my chest. This thing with its big old horse mouth bit my chest and it started twisting. Oh my goodness, I cried so bad. It hurt so bad. I ran back into the cabin. I woke up my brothers. And if you grew up with older brothers, you know how much sympathy I got. Absolutely none. They laughed at me. They mocked me. They made fun of me for the rest of the vacation. I remember being completely disappointed, completely let down that day by that horse. Now here's the thing. It's one thing to be let down in life by a horse that you just met, but it's quite another when you're abandoned by your own father or when you're betrayed by your closest friend or when you're let down by someone who should have been there for you, someone who should have known better. I don't know in your life where you've been let down past, present, or in the upcoming future. Sometimes the letdown is a rejection. Sometimes it's an abandonment. Sometimes we let ourselves down. Sometimes our bodies let us down as we get older or we get sick and our body just doesn't function like we thought we could count on it. You know, wherever you're experiencing this emotion of letdown or disappointment, I believe that God brought you into this moment because he wants to pick you up. He wants to encourage you. So let's learn together today from God's word, how do we have fewer letdowns? And in a world that's broken by sin, where there will always be some disappointment, how do we live a sturdy life? Not a plastic chair life, but a sturdy, unshakable life. Well, earlier we looked at verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 146. And they warned us, they said, don't 
place your trust in humans. Now, this doesn't mean you can't have close relationships. It doesn't mean don't get married, don't have any close friends. It doesn't mean, you know, you have to isolate yourself from the world because you can't trust anyone. That's not what it's saying. You should have close relationships. In fact, if you don't have close relationships, you're not going to be able to fully experience God. Uh, that's why if you're not yet in a group, you should text the word group to us. We want you to be in relationship. If your wounds, as we talk about pain and hurt, have to do with divorce or addiction or any other kind of specific pain, text the word care to us. We have divorce care groups. We have addiction groups. We have grief share groups. Whatever kind of pain you're going through, we have a group for you. Because while God says that humans can't be trusted as the ultimate hope, humans will be part of his plan to lead you to what the ultimate hope is. The ultimate hope is found here in verse 5. It's where Psalm 146 tells us in a more positive way, here's how to live that sturdy life. That life that doesn't break from underneath you. It says, joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper. What's your helper? It's who you call out to when you need help. When your emotions are frayed, when you're discouraged, when you don't know what to do, we all call out to help for someone or for something. Sometimes we call out for help by just picking up our phone and numbing out on social media. Sometimes we call out for help by shopping or by drinking or by just trying to be around friends who help us forget about our problems. God says, if you'll call out to me as your helper, you will experience my joy in your life. Joyful, in that Hebrew word, it means blessed or happy, are those whose hope is in the Lord. So here's the answer to our question. How do you live a life of fewer disappointments? How do you overcome the disappointments that are already in your life? Here's the answer from the word of God. When people let you down, Almighty God can hold you up. When people let you down, Almighty God, he can hold you up. He wants to hold you up today. I don't know in your life where that issue is, but I do know that God is calling out to you right now. And I want to walk you through Psalm 146 very quickly and help you choose to place your hope and your call for help in Almighty God. Now let's start in verse 1. Psalm 146 starts and it says, Praise the Lord. Now, I'll teach you just a little bit of Hebrew today, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any means, but this word, praise the Lord, is actually where we get our word, hallelujah. In fact, Psalm 146, this is one of a group of psalms at the very end of the book of Psalms, and they all start and end with this word, halal, praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Let all that I am praise the Lord. In other words, oh my soul, my breath, my inner creature, my appetites, my emotions. God, I want to praise you with those things. You know, I have three elementary aged kids. And very often when I see them, I'll say pop quiz, especially if they're asking me for something. Pop quiz. I have two pop quizzes I give them. Here's the first one. What are the three most important choices you'll ever make in your life? And I'll give you guys the answer. I might pop quiz you later. The first one is, will you follow Jesus and ask him to forgive your sins? Second most important choice you'll make, who are your closest friends? You'll always be an average of your five closest friends. 
third most important choice you'll ever make if you choose to get married is who you will marry. I, I quiz my kids on that all the time. Here's the second thing I quiz them about. I'll ask them, hey, when Jesus was stopped by a group of people and they said, what's the most important command in all of the Bible? How did Jesus answer? Well, the answer is in the Gospels. Jesus said, love the Lord your God. Not be perfect, not even obey, though we will obey him if we love him. But he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Did you know that you can love God with your mind? You can also not love God with your mind. What you set your mind on reveals your affection and directs your emotion. And so when this verse says, praise the Lord, let all that I am praise the Lord, it's saying with my mind, with my heart, with my inner person, God, I want to love you. I want to find my help in you. I want to find my hope in you. Well, the text continues. Let's check out verse two. It says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. <laughs> I wonder if you were laying in a hospital bed and your body was weak and weary and you just had enough energy for one final thought, what would it be? The idea here is that if I only had that much energy, it would be directed toward God. My life habit would be one where I'm so in the habit, God, of calling out to you for help, of praising you, of loving you, that in that moment, I would call out to you with my dying breath. You know, sometimes you hear people say, if you were in jail and you had one phone call, who would you call? Well, that's the idea of this verse is saying, God, you're the one I call out to. You're the one I look to for my help. When I think of a dying breath, I think of Rocky Balboa. Because so often in the Rocky movies, he is like fighting through death. And of course, in the Rocky movies, the theme is that he continues to believe in himself. He continues to overcome. But you think of those moments where he's knocked out and he's, he's down on the ground and he's choosing, will he stand back up? And he summons all of his power to stand back up. And that phrase there, Psalm 146, verse 2, God, I'll praise you with my dying breath. The idea is, God, I choose you in that same way. God, I choose you with that same tenacity. In my hardest times, God, I call out to you. And then it's on the heels of that that we find verse 3. Do not put your confidence in powerful people. There's no help for you there. Man, God is blunt, isn't he? And again, this doesn't mean you shouldn't vote. Absolutely. As a Christian living in a democratic society where we get to vote, you should absolutely vote and exercise your right to vote. It's a God-given right. Vote biblically. Vote knowing that you'll answer to God for how you vote. But no matter who you vote for, don't place your ultimate confidence in any one candidate or any one party. Here's the idea that Psalm 146 gives us. It's that every human being, no matter how powerful they are, they're really a lot like a sandcastle. You might look at a sandcastle and say, man, that's beautiful. That's a really great one. I almost want you to imagine yourself as a tiny person. And any human being who you place your confidence in, it's like you're kind of building a home in that sandcastle. And you're like, oh, this person's going to protect me. This person's going to meet all my needs. I don't want to burst anyone's bubble. 
But I've done enough reading of world history to know this. There's never been a civilization where there are no poor people, where there are no sick people, where everyone's needs are met. That kingdom hasn't existed in all of human history ever since sin came into our world. Now, should we strive for that? Should we try to make that happen? Absolutely. But you know where that kingdom is going to be? The kingdom of Almighty God through Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Every human being who we could place our confidence in is a lot like a sandcastle after the waves start to erode. You know, human life expectancy in the United States right now is 78 years old. None of us will live too much beyond that. And if we place our hope in people alone, it would be like placing our hope in that sandcastle and after a couple decades you look back and you realize, wow, that person is gone. And so God says people matter, relationships matter, how you vote matters, but here's the reality of any human that you could put your trust in. Verse 4 says this, when they breathe their last, they return to the earth. And all their plans die with them. So even if they meant well, even if they had great plans, their power is limited. What a contrast to God whose power is not limited, who defeated death when he rose from the grave, who is perfect in his promises, who is good in his heart and in his nature. Literally, this verse says that these people, these kings, these rulers, after their bodies die, the Hebrew word is that their body returns to the dirt. So you think of the most powerful people in human history. Genghis Khan is now mostly dirt. Napoleon is mostly dirt. Julius Caesar is mostly dirt. I don't say this in a a way to be demeaning to anyone, but to contrast human strength versus the strength of Almighty God. When I think of the most powerful people, I think of Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, known as the greatest, who would say, I am the greatest six foot three inches of muscle and speed and power, unlike anyone else, and yet as he reached his final days in 2016, this greatest man became so frail. And just like you and me, he breathed a final breath on planet Earth, and now what's left of his body sits six feet underground at a cemetery called Cave Hill Cemetery in Louisville, Kentucky. Same is true of John Lennon, of Shakespeare, of Einstein. The greatest human beings are limited to about 100 years of life. There's only one great man who ever lived in all of human history whose body is not rotting in the ground. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the one who can carry you through death. He's the one who will never leave you or forsake you. He's the one who will never disappoint you. He's the only one who can forgive your sins. He's the only one who can give you eternal life. And this is why verse 5 says, Joyful, happy are those who have the God of Israel as their helper. If you know that you have a relationship with God through Jesus, then you know that when things don't go your way in this world, it's temporary. You have a helper who will always be there for you. You have a hope in the Lord through your relationship with with Jesus. This Hebrew word that we translate joyful or blessed, 
We'll put this in your study guide. It appears, this phrase, all through the book of Psalms. Uh, let me show you just three other examples. In chapter 33, it says, Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. In other words, if there's a whole group of people who will look to God to be their hope. Apparently at one time there was in our nation because they printed it on our money in God we trust. If you can get enough people to look to God to be their help and their hope, well, they will be a happy people. Psalm 34 says this, Taste and see the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. The person who when there's a crisis, they look to God. Psalm 40 says this, How happy is anyone who has put their trust in the Lord, who has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. You could summarize this idea all through the book of Psalms this way. Hope in God for your daily desires. You know, Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. You have daily desires. You have hungers every day. Bring those with hope to God. Where you desire relationship, where you desire fulfillment and security, he wants to meet those desires. Bring them to him daily. And in addition to our daily desires, we all have deep crises, don't we? We have plastic chairs that have broken out from under us. We have pain and hurt. Cry out for his help in your deepest crisis. Call out to him daily for every little thing, but for your deepest needs, for your crises, call out to him, cry out to him. And if you'll do that, what's the promise of verse 5? You'll live a joyful, a happy life. Joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper in crisis, as their hope for their daily needs. Now, why is it that you can call out to God in this way? Well, verse 6 tells us. It's that he made heaven and earth. He breathed us into existence. He has the power to meet your needs. Where human rulers, even if they're well-intentioned, have only about 100 years of life at the most, and they have limited amount of power, he has unlimited power. He made the sea and everything in it, and get this, he keeps every promise. I know there's a lot of noble politicians who mean well, but so many of them, they'll promise things, and even if they mean well and they're honest, they don't actually have the power to do it because of all the different branches of government. God actually does what he claims he'll do for you. God always keeps his promises. God is so big and so powerful, yet he's so intimate. He cares about every hair on your head. He knows every care in your heart. I wonder where's the situation in your life where you've been obsessing about a person or a decision and you want it to be in your favor, but it's, it's not in your control. And maybe today God's spirit is saying to you, look higher, place your hope in the Lord. He knows all the stars by name. You know, the most advanced space astrophysicists, they still don't know the specific number of stars in the universe. But God, we're told, calls the stars by name. God doesn't only know the exact number. He has a name for every star. And he cares far more about you. He is vast. He's unlimited by time. He outlives every tyrant, every dictator as well as every benevolent mother and father. He outlasts every nation and every civilization, 
And yet, he knows every care in your heart. He has a name for you. He knows the inner workings of your life. He knows your details and your habits. So call out to him where you need a breakthrough. Call out to him where you need a job. Call out to him where you need peace. Call out to him where you need a plan, where you need a provision. Call out to him where you need power. You know that verse, verse 6 said, God's promises are always true. We study God's promises because we can carry them with us. You know, the very earth itself can shake in an earthquake. And Jesus said, one day it will be melted down, but the word of God stands forever. You find more security in the promises of God's word than in the very ground that you stand on. What does this all-powerful, promise-keeping, immortal God do with his strength? Well, verse 7 tells us. He gives justice to the oppressed. This is the heart of God. He uses his strength, his power, his immortality to bring justice to the person who's wrongly accused to give food to the person who's hungry, to free those who are wrongly imprisoned. And then verse 8 tells us more about the heart of God. He opens the eyes of the blind. He heals. God cares about our sickness. God cares about where we're broken. We know when Jesus, Almighty God, physically walked on this earth, he literally healed the eyes of the blind. And it was a picture of his power to give healing that is immortality for our broken bodies as well as an ability to see God in this life. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. I don't know in your life right now where you might feel weighed down. Maybe when we showed that idea of the chair breaking, maybe you identified with that and you just feel like, John, I am broken down and I can't even get back on my feet. Well, here's the thing. God's reaching out to you right now. God desires to lift you back up. And I want to encourage you with this. God's promise to lift up and to help, it's not for people who have it all put together. His promise is for those who are weighed down. In fact, Scripture says elsewhere that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He picks up those who are humble. In fact, you can't get into the kingdom of God until you humble yourself and say, Jesus, I believe in you for the forgiveness of my sins. Then we come to God one day at a time in humility. We say, God, this is where life is weighing me down and he will pick you up. God loves the godly, those who seek after him. You know, I got a picture of this recently from a dear friend of mine named Tom. Uh, Tom uh, came to know the Lord in his mid-30s, and he has walked with the Lord now for a couple decades in his life. Tom texted me the other day. He had gotten really the worst news that a person can get, the news that they have cancer. And yet within the midst of it, you see in Tom's words and in his attitude the joy, the peace that Psalm 146 is talking about. Here's what he wrote to me. He said, John, here's some wisdom to live by. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of Christ Jesus. He's quoting the New Testament. Then he goes on to say this, I would value your prayers. Got a diagnosis yesterday of colon cancer, lots of unknowns, but hoping that you would pray for healing and for God's perfect will in our lives. 
Now, I don't know how you would respond if you learned that you had colon cancer. Of course, it's not one of the forms of cancer that you want to have. Tom's first initial response was to think of scripture and to praise God. Why? Because year after year, for 20 or 30 years now of his life, he's been living out what Psalm 146 says. He's been daily looking to God for his hope. And he has, in every crisis, been calling out to God to be his help. And I have full confidence that as Tom continues to walk with God, God's going to give him peace in this life. I'm praying, and I hope you'll join me in praying, that God will heal my brother Tom. He's a dear brother to me. But here's what I know. Just earlier today, Tom was connecting with me again, and he said, John, would you pray that as I interact with different doctors and nurses, that I'd be pointing them to Jesus, that I would be glorifying God. I know that 100 years from now, my body will be in the dirt, and I will be together with my brother Tom, and I'm praying for his physical healing in this life. I'm believing for his physical healing in this life, but I know that God's good and perfect will will be done. Tom has joy even as he's walking through one of the most difficult things of his life. You can have joy if you'll call out to God, whether you're in your lowest low or your highest high, you call out to him for your help. You make him your hope. You can do this, verse 9 tells us, because the Lord protects us when we're vulnerable. Look at these different groups of vulnerable people in verse 9. The Lord protects the foreigners. He cares for the orphans, for the widows. In this culture at this time, if you were a foreigner, it was a prejudiced culture. All cultures were at that time. You would be treated unfairly. If you were an orphan, you wouldn't have rights or even food. If you were a widow, you wouldn't have income or possessions. And the point is this, the Lord is always looking out for those who are hurting. The Lord is always looking out for those who are suffering. The Lord is looking out for you. He's looking out for my brother Tom. He's looking out for everyone in our nation who's calling out to him. I love verse 10. It says this, the Lord will reign forever. This good God who never dies, who has unlimited power, who is benevolent and right in his nature and his desires, who always keeps his promises, his kingdom will reign forever. As followers of Jesus, we're told in the book of Hebrews that we have a kingdom that will never be shaken. So while I love the United States of America, and I pray every day for this country, for God's blessing on it, my ultimate confidence is in a kingdom that will never be shaken, ruled by a king who will reign forever. I love this idea. It says, O Jerusalem, know that this will be your God throughout the generations as different rulers come and go, as different civilizations come and go. Jerusalem is this idea of what if you could live in a city where everyone in that city is calling out to God and worshiping God and trying to live for God. We get a taste of that when we gather here on weekends. Even when we gather online and in our small groups, we get a, a taste of what it is to be with a tribe of people who are all looking to Jesus as our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one who will reign perfectly, who will give justice, who will care for the needy, and who will reign like that for all time. And then this beautiful psalm ends right where it started, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. He can be trusted. He is good. And so here's my encouragement to you this week. I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe it's cancer treatment. Maybe it's anxiety about the election. I don't know where life has let you down and where it's unpredictable. But join me in being a tribe of people who say together we're going to determine to make God our hope and our help. Here's what I know. If we will do this, we will be a joyful people, no matter what happens in the world around us. Next week, don't miss it, we're going to be launching a series titled, My Help Comes from the Lord. We're going to spend the month of November learning how to be a people who call out to God for our help and who daily plant our hope in God. Now, I can't predict everything that's going to happen in the next seven days, but I hope you'll make it a point to join me seven days from now when we study the Word of God together. And let me tell you something that I know for sure will be true seven days from now, seven years from now, 70 years from now at Connection Point. It's this, no matter who is in the White House, God will be right here in this house. We are a people whose God is the Lord. We look to him for our help, for our hope. And as a result, we don't live a life of plastic chairs breaking underneath us. We live a sturdy life. Our God in heaven is unshaken. We place our confidence in him. Let me pray that for you right now. Father, I pray for every brother and sister. Lord, every set of ears that's hearing this, God, would we right now in our hearts say we love you, Lord with all our heart, our soul, our mind. And we choose right now to place our confidence in you. Lord, we call out to you where there are crises and problems in our lives. Lord, as a church family, we call out to you for our brother Tom. We pray for divine, supernatural healing of the cancer that is in his body, that you would extinguish it from him, that you would extend his days of life. And Lord, we pray that physical healing and strength over every brother and sister in our congregation. Lord, at the same time, we submit to you, believing that our ultimate hope is an eternal life in an eternal kingdom where there's no cancer, no sickness, no corruption, no death, no divorce, no pain, no suffering. And so God, this next week, make us a people that we would look to you every day for our daily hope, that we would cry out to you in every problem. Lord, we trust you because you are unlimited in your power, you're unconditional in your love, you're so good to us and you are with us. So preserve us these next seven days and may we walk together hand in hand with you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.